Hello, Maxine Simata Kavithit Kamraig, Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Hing Grando are Podlidiad Newith, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices to the anthem. Marching like a mighty army, Wrexham is the name. Choice on all to feel us in devotion. We're back after a short break, and today we've got a bumper episode for you. We've got several guests lined up to give us an insight into our new gaffer, Phil Parkinson, as well as the first instalment of The Shitey Heroes. But before we get on to all that, let's talk about a sponsorship deal that was sealed yesterday that has rocked the football and advertising world. Yes, that's right. It's been confirmed that Fearless in Devotion is now sponsored by Wrexham's greatest restaurant and bar, The Fat Ball, in a deal rumoured to be worth millions of pounds. Andy, in a sentence, what are your three favourite things about The Fat Ball, Wrexham? Lots of meat. Um, Mm. Wrexham Lager. And a decent outside bit. Caveat, I've only been once. But was it the best place you've ever been? Oh, it's, uh, if they served ball in that place, it would be perfect. <laughs> right. But the advertising st- standards agency should be all over them. Well, there we are. The campaign to get the fat ball to serve ball starts now. I know Fearless in Devotion listeners are all a bunch of metropolitan, continental coffee sipping, craft ale drinking yuppies. So this sponsorship is congruous with us and with you. And much like the football club, this sponsorship money from the fat ball has given the podcast a budget it couldn't dream of before. So much so that the pixelated potato himself, Liam Randall, has purchased... A microphone. Liam, give us a taste of that crisp sound quality. Mic check, mic check, one, two. How's that sounding? It sounds pretty good. I've, 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 I'm maybe, hopefully, we'll get better. I don't know. <laughs> That's wow, promising. Brought, yeah, brought <laughs> instant downer to it. Well, the, 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 the internet, uh, I'm not sure there's much you can do with that internet uh, connection, to be honest. That'll be the next uh, step, I think. If, if this lucrative sponsorship deal attracts others, Hopefully we could pay for Liam to get a decent router. Anyway, on to business. Phil Parkinson is the new manager of Wrexham AFC. The former Bradford Bolton and Sunderland boss has signed a 12-month rolling contract and will be joined by assistant manager Steve Parkin. Tim, you're joining us from your week's holiday in Barth. What was your gut reaction? Um, I haven't been massively overwhelmed, but I'm not massively underwhelmed either. He can't afford to be. He's got three promotions under his belt. Um, it seems to be sensible. It hasn't sort of put too much fuel on the fire in terms of the hype. It seems sensible. It seems prudent. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, give the guy a chance. He, he's managed at a much, much higher level than what we've been playing our trade at for, you know, 14 seasons. Uh, about to be 14 seasons. So, yeah, I think it's astute. I think he'll know what he wants. And I imagine the the interview process has been a lot more stringent than maybe what it has been in previous years. So good luck to him. I'm happy. You know what? I'm a little bit surprised because all the, all the sort of rumblings I was thinking is they wanted a head coach. They wanted someone who could take the players that the likes of Les Reed and Sean Harvey would pick and coach them. 
but this doesn't seem that sort of appointment. This seems like they've gone for a proper old school manager who will want a say in the people they're bringing into Wrexham. But that's good, isn't it? Surely they've got a they've got a fella in who's working to a League One standard who will bring in League One quality players have a system that's simple for them to understand. And hopefully that's the way to get out of this, this conference. We've tried everything. We've tried the likes of Kevin Wilkin bringing players from lower leagues. We've tried bringing in, you know, lone stars from higher up. None of it's really worked. So let's have a set plan. The only thing I would say is the 12-month deal was a little bit surprising for me. I think this could actually be a two-year project to... I know we've got a spine of some good, you know, some good players there, but to really, from a standing start, with pre-season in a couple of weeks, to get us to a gel team, I think it might be two years. So I was surprised about the twelve-month deal. I mean, it seems more of a Sean Harvey, old-school manager type pick. I mean, I, I, I said I think a few podcasts ago that I thought they'd go down the route that kind of Notts County had gone down mm, in yeah. getting a young up-and-coming manager from that no one had heard of, basically. Um, but that hasn't been the case. Uh, Liam, what do you make of it? Um, I think I was quite surprised to go for it. So we've gone from Keats Ball uh, straight to Parkinson Ball, which from what people have said might not be a million miles off each other. But um, when you look at his CV in the cold light of day, you can't really argue with it, can you? He's got those free promotions under his belt. Um, not particularly popular at every club he's been to, but he strikes me as a man that can probably get the job done. So dropping down from League One as well, you can only really describe it as a coup. Liam, that sound quality is superb now, mate. Loving it. We're going to go from strength to strength. Um, however, um, you called this as well, didn't you? Liam, on Red Passion a few days ago, you had the inside intel. I bet your sort of smug levels are pretty high at the moment. Yeah, I just got I just got a bit bored earlier this week with the lack of <laughs> the lack of news, so I just decided to do an old fashioned ring round. And uh, first person I spoke to said, "Oh yeah, Phil Parkinson's been offered the uh, the job. Um, main things he's considering are whether to I think relocations involved in it." and whether to drop down, but it appears that, yeah, he went for it. Um, we also went close to getting our first ever Swiss manager, but alas, it wasn't to be. Oh. Well, can you can you give us any more information on that, or your, or your lips sealed? Is it Mark Hottiger? <laughs> His name is Bruno Berner, and apparently he was in serious contention. Managers in Switzerland at the minute, but used to play for Leicester City. And I think Blackburn very as well. For- Blackburn, yeah. Um, he got through about three stages of interviews, supposedly. So they must have must have liked what they uh, they saw. But no, they went for a experience, it looks like. There you go. What a fascinating, fascinating insight into the life of a local democracy reporter there. Uh, anyway, Tim, um, Phil Parkinson, a lot of Sunderland fans mocking him, talking about how he was a disaster there. Um, what kind of comments have you seen? Um, yeah, it's, it's a stranger with the Sunderland fans. I mean, I mean, look, from from a, an objective point of view, I think Mark, Mark Butler, one of the Wrexham fans who speaks quite a lot of sense on Twitter, um, said something along the lines of, you know, what, disregard the Sunderland aspect because that, in, in a similar style to us, is, is their manager's post is very much a poison chalice. So you can't really do right for doing wrong. Unless you win 
six or seven or eight, nine games in a row where you're the bee's knees, as soon as things start going south quickly, then mm. you're public enemy number one. So obviously, similar to us, they're a big club in the wrong division, um, but for, for want of a better word. Um so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was with, with Sunderland. Obviously, it just didn't. It didn't happen for him. But we're going to have a, uh, a Sunderland fans' uh, view on that. Some interesting quotes uh, from his time at Sunderland, because obviously Sunderland till I die was probably the reason that got this club bought by Ryan and Rob because Rob McElhenney mm. loved it so much. So. When Phil Parkinson took over, the third season wasn't really greenlit, and I don't think it ever was, but here's some interesting quotes he said about it. He said, I'm pleased there's no cameras around for a third season. Since I've come in, it's been a tough challenge. There are less distractions you can have, the, the better. At the moment, if you said to me, well, I'd rather have the cameras follow me, or yes or no, it's a no for me. It can be damaging. I understand why Sunderland have done it, and other clubs have done it too. But this is part of the part of the mass of the of the modern day game. So I'm aware of that. But if you say yes or no, for me at the moment, I'm pleased we can just concentrate on the football. Interesting what he thinks about the cameras being around because they will be around next season for Wrexham. Mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they've already showed him a general rough de- rough edit of maybe episode one to give him an idea of that. It's very much about the town centred around the football club rather than the football club centred around the town. So if they've shown him and sold him it that way, maybe that's that's something to sort of allay any concerns he might have. But mm. yeah, he might be given some sort of creative control as to what he feels should be allowed in the dressing room and what shouldn't be in terms of the cameras. So watch this space. And also, to be fair, there's pros and cons to any job aren't there and uh, you know it's it's entirely possible that he still kind of feels that way but he's but he's thinking well the overall project is one that's exciting enough that I can get over the fact that I'm gonna have to have cameras following me the whole time anyway loads to discuss on Phil Parkinson but as promised and as mentioned by Tim during this episode we'll be hearing from supporters from other clubs who can give us an insight into him Uh, later on in the episode we'll be speaking with Tom Albrighton from the Roker Report the Sunderland podcast but before we came on air Andy and I stole a few minutes from uh, Rick Skelton from Hull City Live who told us a little bit more about Phil Parkinson's stint in charge of his club and uh, Andy started off by asking him considering they paid Colchester 400 grand in compensation to get hold of him whether they thought they had a good appointment Yeah we did I mean he came in after Peter Taylor had done a sort of all time great job here um, got, mm. us, got us promoted twice on the bounce into the championship, kept us in the championship. So it, it was a really big act to follow. But like you said, he'd done a great job. He, he got Colchester into the championship himself. Mm. Um, and everybody thought it, it looked a good match. He was obviously a, a really good young manager on the rise. Um, always had a great reputation. I mean, I think he's, he's genuinely a top bloke. Um, but it, it never really quite worked out. And um, when he when he was at Colchester, he had a he had a guy called Gareth Williams, uh, who was his uh, assistant, and I think took over from him when he came to Hull. And and the feeling was, as it sort of went sour, was it was maybe one of them scenarios where there were a better double act than than Parkinson was a manager on his own. A bit like uh, Clough and Robertson. Yeah, a bit like yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, that that was kind of kind of the feeling. I mean, let's like say it, it looked a good appointment. 
never quite worked out um, from a, a management point of view. Um, he he brought in really good players um, at the time. So if, if you look at the team that went into the Premier League sort of two years later under Phil Brown, mm. a lot of the key players in that team were brought in by Parkinson. So he brought Michael Turner in. He brought Sam Ricketts in, who I know is another former Wrexham manager. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, he brought Dean Marnie in from Tottenham. And, and you know, they were like uh, part of that spine of that team that, that got promoted, um, along with, um, with with some some Brown signings who, uh, funnily enough, came from Colchester. Uh, right. Wayne, Wayne Brown and Richard Garcia came from Colchester. It was a massive link with Colchester at the time. Um, we stole Craig Fagan off them as well, I think, around that time. So, yeah, mm. I, I, I don't know where... Where this uh, this link came between Colchester and Hull, but um, yeah, he had a re- he had a real eye for talent. He, he knew a player, um, and he kind of knew what he wanted to do. But it just he never got off to a great start. Um, he was always up against it. And I think Ian Ashby, who obviously was was captain here for yeah. when we went from legendary, yeah, yeah, he he was injured at the time, um, and I, and and Parkinson also fell out with Nick Barnby, um, which right. You know, you, you don't you don't get a bigger name around here than Nick Barnby, and uh, so yeah, that, he, he fell out with him, and and there was no real coming back for it. So it, mm. it, he only lasted. I think did he go in November? Um, he, he only he only lasted a few months, and we were uh, if we went bottom of the league, we were nearly bottom. Um, he brought in Phil Brown to be his assistant. It was a bit like uh, some some situations you see recently. He brought in Phil Brown to be his assistant, and then he got the sack, and Brown got a job. <laughs> right, fair, yeah, and the rest is history. What what was the style of play like, uh, Rick? Um, it was fairly mediocre, but if we're really honest, um, it, under Peter Taylor, it wasn't brilliant. Um, T- Taylor was a really good manager, really good attention to detail, uh, made people feel like 10 feet tall. Mm. Um, and, and we got promoted twice, but we, we rarely sort of hammered teams and rarely, rarely, really wowed as a sort of attacking force. I think we, we did a little bit in, in Division 3, but when we went through League 1, there was a lot of narrow wins. Um, Stuart Elliott's got a lot of goals to sort of nick games. So it wasn't like when, when Parkinson came in, we'd, we'd gone from, you know, Pep Guardiola to Tony Pulis or something. It was, um, but it, it, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't brilliant. Um, so we had John Parkin up front and, um, right. we, you know, we, we tried, we tried to use him a lot. Um, and, and like I say, he brought in, he brought in good players, but they maybe just weren't quite ready. Um, people like I said, Mike, Michael Turner, under Phil Parkinson, who brought him in, he looked an absolute donkey, if we're really honest. And then right. under Phil Brown, he developed into possibly the best defender we've ever had until mm. um, sort of like Harry Maguire and um, Curtis Davis and the like a decade or so later. But um, at the time, um, you know, you would have said Michael Turner was the best defender we'd ever had. And Phil Parkinson spotted him and brought him, but um, he, just, he just couldn't get the best out of him. So it's one of them, but, you know, it's a small sample, isn't it? A, a handful of months in a job. Yeah. Um, obviously, we. I think Adam Pearson was the was the chairman at the time. He panics because he couldn't afford to to get relegated. Um, so he went, he went with Phil Brown, and that turned out to be a good decision. Mm. Rick, talking about um, the style of football, 
the spell with you guys was pretty short. The shortest in his career, only 24 games and a pretty poor win ratio. As you're saying, everybody's got going. But speaking to sort of, when you look at his records at other clubs and the fans will say that what he does is he is he plays possibly quite an effective um, style of football that gets players up for a game, you know, even though the results weren't good. Were the players playing for him, do you think? Yeah, certainly initially. I mean, I went to... Uh, pretty certainly it was, it was West Brom away on the opening day and we played really well. Uh, I think they'd just been relegated. Um, and we played really well and got beat. Um, and then we played Barnsley at home, I think, the next game. Um, so it was first home game of the season. It was an evening game. We went 2-0 up. Um, and, and we all thought, you know, we've got something here. And we, we managed to let that slip and lost 3-2. But there were some highlights. that We, we, we won at Leicester and, and Michael Bridges scored the winner. Um, and, and that was a really good win. But And I think his last game was uh, Southampton at home, um, which was um, a sort of really young, promising Southampton team. I think they had a young Gareth Bale in there. Um, and again, that was a game that started really well. He brought back Nick Barnby because um, he knew he needed a result. <laughs> and uh, and, and, we, and we, we were doing really well at 2-2 and eventually lost 4-2. So yeah, apart from the sort of public fallout with Bambi, there wasn't really a sign that he'd lost anyone. He, like I say, he seemed a really good guy. He was good with the media. Um, nobody really disliked him. Um, there was no like Parkinson out campaign, but it was just sort of like quiet murmurs when when you when you were in the pub, when you're on online forums. There was always a sort of, I don't think this guy's got it. Um, I don't I don't think he's the right fit. I think we need a change. But um, nobody disliked him. He, he he was such a you know good honest guy, and he just. He just sounded a little bit out of his depth. And like I said, I do wonder if, if going from having his, his sort of real successful partnership with, with Williams at Colchester to, to being on his Todd here, um, it was it was probably too much at the time. You do think that then it was, he was out of his depth or do you think that if they'd have backed him for a bit longer, he could have turned things around? Um there wasn't really a sign he was he was gonna turn it around. I, I just think it was it was the wrong job at the wrong time. Um mm. And I think I, I think that because he's gone on and he, he's done a really good job. I mean, I've always you do, don't you? I've always sort of followed him. Um, obviously, did a, a fantastic job at Bradford. Uh, did really well at Bolton in the circumstances there. So he um, he is a good manager. I think I think it's just it's just one of those things. He, he, he was a good player. He absolutely knows the game. He knows players. Um, I think it was just wrong wrong club at the wrong time. Um, and, and one of them where on a sort of, you know, Peter Taylor wasn't Sir Alex Ferguson or Aston Wenger or something, but it's like somebody's got to follow that. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it was him. Um, and then Phil Brown came in and sort of the expectations were miles lower and he cleaned up. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It sort of it sort of strikes me as maybe he learned a lot from that period because I don't think he returned to sole management of a club for for eighteen months after. So if you can t- go away to you know think about when you're in charge of a big club, process what went wrong, and use that next time you you are a manager, it probably holds you in good stead, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think he, he probably did learn a lot. Um, I've, I've never heard him talk about it much, to be honest. Since I mean, he, he's not a really big talker, anyways. You don't ever see him on the TV or anything. So not like Phil Brown. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I've never, I've never heard him to really say what he what he thought about it. He's never come back and done any, um, you know, the sort of events or dinners or anything or podcasts. So um, obviously, as, a, as an active manager, 
um, currently. Um, and yeah. he, has, he has been for pretty much the entire time since, like you say, apart from that little break afterwards. Um, so I, I don't really know what, what he saw or what he, what he learned, but um, I think it's one of them. If, if, if he got the chance again, I'm, I'm pretty certain he'd probably, he'd probably still go for it. Um, I think he would maybe try to change a little bit less straight away. Right, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, not not fall out. Not fall out with Barnby. What, what not was fall the... out with Nick Barnby, yeah. yeah. What was the story there? Do you, do you know why why they did fall out? No, he just, he, uh, I, I don't know exactly why. No, I don't I don't think it was one particular incident. He just, he, he didn't think um, Barnby was, was right for the team at the time. And um, there's one of those things. I mean, Barnby came sort of a year earlier when we were in League One. Uh, after he'd sort of flopped at Leeds pretty much, bought himself out of Leeds and came here and it, it sort of looked like he'd come to retire and then of course like three years later he's, he's in the Premier League with us and yeah. um, you know forming that partnership with Dean Windus and uh, like a career resurgence but I, I think Phil Parkinson thought at the time that he was he was pretty much done so which is weird because he went on for um yeah, several years later until he became our manager. So he went on for another good five or six years. So, no. um, but yeah, he, he definitely, he, he definitely he was okay. He was okay, and I'd like to say, I think it, with hindsight, I think everybody would still appoint him again because you see, you know, this guy on the up. Yeah, um, and and he he, he he looked a good fit, and he just is sometimes it just doesn't work. So no, um, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he did well for. For Wrexham, I think, like I say, he's done pretty well everywhere he's been. I know Sunderland's a bit of an outlier, but who's done well at Sunderland? <laughs> yeah, I like I like uh, the fact you say you can spot a player because I think that's what we need and that's key oh, in God. our division. Well, we don't have, we don't have any centre backs. Yeah, moment, I mean, so <laughs> he's going to have to spot a couple of them. No, well, uh, Pearson went to Grimsby, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, he knows a centre back. Let's be fair. I think he, he was a defender, wasn't he, Parky? So. Um, <sighs> Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I think the only thing is, I don't think he's managed in the National League, has he? Um, no, I think, we're, I think we're hoping he will take sort of a League One, League Two attitude about it, get that quality of player in once he's got a rigid system, which is probably good enough for the conference and get us out that way. And I'm, I'm quite happy with that. We've tried every way. We've tried going lower to try and find upcoming people. We've tried going to the Premier League to get lone stars. None of it's worked. We're 13 years into the conference. So if he's coming in uh, with a plan, I'll have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's baffling, really, isn't it? A club that side. I know you sort of see, I was looking. I think I think it got spoiled on the last day, but going into that last day of the season, all six teams in the playoffs were teams you'd sort of call league clubs like Torquay, mm. Notts County, Chesterfield, Wrexham, Hartlepool, yeah. Stockport, mm. um, yeah. all teams that would have been in our division sort of in the mid-2000s. Um, yeah. You mentioned Sam Ricketts. It also carries on a tradition of Wrexham appointing managers who are linked with with uh, Hull. Yeah. Um, Sam Ricketts, obviously. Dean Keats was a, was a player here. Brian <sighs> Hughes. Uh, it was part of the team that went into the Premier League that first time here. Um, Brian Flynn ever played for Hull? He might as well have. <laughs> he didn't. I, I tell you what, I've seen him. I've seen him uh, watching our reserves a good few times. I don't know if he was scouting for Everton, I think. Um, so he was a bit of a regular watching our reserve team for a while. So I don't think I ever bore any fruit. But uh, um, he was maybe watching a young Jared Bowen, I suspect. Um, but uh, what about Brian Little? Did Brian Little manage Wrexham? He did. He did. Yeah, there's another one you see. Yeah, oh, so let's let's hope it works this time. 
Right, Peter Taylor, manager after Phil Parkinson. <laughs> yes, yeah. Pete, well, Peter Taylor was obviously uh, did in, in that league. Years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah. There, there seems to be a massive link. I don't know. I don't know why. It's not. It's not close, is it? <laughs> no, it isn't close. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rick. Thanks very much for that. Appreciate your time. Cheers, fellas. Good luck for the season. Thanks again to Rick Skelton from Hull City Live for his uh, time today. Tim, who have we got up next? We have got a gentleman called Tom O'Brighton. He um, is a, a guy involved with Roker Reports, Sunderland's main fan site and podcast. He's also got a vested interest in Wrexham. I'll let Tom explain why. Over to you, Hi. mate. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Bon Um <laughs> So, essentially, my, my family is from Welcome. North Wales, Uh Real born and bred, uh, and my dad in his younger days would have nipped down to Wrexham to watch a bit of football every now and again before he eventually moved away. And we've just kind of always kept an eye on how Wrexham are doing, what's happening, and and so on and so forth. And up until recently, he always said, "If I win the lottery, I'll buy Wrexham." But no, <laughs> you know, I don't think he's going to buy those two fellas out if he ever wins the lottery. So <laughs> I don't think so. The dream's dead. <laughs> Brilliant. What what was your first reaction when you heard that uh, Phil Parkinson was coming to Wrexham? Uh, I just the the sincerest of apologies, really. Oh, is, um, I'm sorry. I don't I don't know what I don't know what other people's opinions on him are, but I know that towards the end of last season there was a lot of fans quite frustrated with Keats. Um, if you think that's bad, I mean I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong, but if you think Keats was bad, you. You ain't seen nothing yet, guys. Unfortunately. Oh, head in hand time here. No, I mean, to, to, to be fair, I, I feel like um, you know, Parkinson, the lower the lower down the league as he goes, he's probably a better manager just on the basis you've got a bit of knowledge there. Um, but I can't see it lasting very long if if I'm totally honest. Is that is that because of style of play, Tom? Is that because of the players he brought in? What, what was what was the sort of could you put your finger on one or two reasons why it didn't really work for him at oh, Sunderland? It wasn't just one or two, to be honest, mate. It was, uh, you know, three oh or God. four. Um, I think the one that frustrated a lot of fans was the style of play. It was, apart from a brief period in the middle, it was it was always really direct. Uh, it was quite defensive, even when you were like, you know, you'd be at home to teams like Whitman, who the season before they went up weren't really that good. And we're playing five at the back constantly. Didn't matter whether you are home or away, whether they were bottom or second in the table, or whatever. Is he played five at the back, and he would even play five at the back if he didn't have three fit centre backs. So for a lot of that season, we had a central midfielder either playing right back or centre back, and at times we had two midfielders playing in defence because rather than adapt the side accordingly, deviate from five at the back, it was now nah, we'll just shove someone in there just shove someone in there. So that was a big issue. Uh, another issue was it just didn't use youth players. There was there was very, very little youth involvement at all. Uh, he endeavoured to bring in a lot of experience, but what that experience ended up being was over the hill. So again, quite detrimental, especially considering at the time, well, we still do, we have an academy full of young players. So for him to kind of neglect that was horrific really um, but the the nail in the coffin for Parkinson more than anything was 
he he didn't handle Aidan McGeady very well at all. Now I get that Aidan McGeady is a big fish in a small pond when it comes to Sunderland, but his management of that situation was in, it, it was entirely wrong, and everybody kind of knew it. He kind of made made McGeady a bit of a scapegoat. He ostracised him. He was trying to push him out of the club. He tried to force him to move. Uh, and his justification was that was, well, we have two good wingers. We've got two good young wingers. I want to get them in the team. He cut McGeady out of the picture and his replacement was like a 31-year-old Chris Maguire. So it was just that total ignorance of youth. Eventually, obviously, he went and then McGeady was straight back in the team. He'd come back straight in the team and you look at the guy, I think he topped the assist chart for League One in like half a season, which shows you how bad a man management that situation is where a player you made public enemy number one and completely ostracised was head and shoulders the best player in that division and he only played half a season. Was there a particular sort of flashpoint with McGeady? Because the reason I'm saying this is we've just talked to a lad at Hull and I I sort of feel at the moment we've talked to Hull and we've talked to Sunderland fans and it's two two clubs where it didn't go right for him really. Um, But... What he, what the whole, the whole fan did say was that when he came in, but he fell out with Bambi pretty quickly, who seems like another one of those sort of big name players. He said he couldn't really put a finger on why he fell out with Bambi, but it just happened. Was that the same with McGeady? Uh, to an extent, yeah. Um, the one, and it, it only ever ended up being a rumour, but there was a rumour... Um, I can't remember what game. I feel like it might have been Bristol, and and we we drawn the game, and by all accounts, McGeady is walking into the dressing room absolutely furious. We've not won the game because it was a game we were looking to win, and uh, just kind of went into the dressing room as you'd expect a senior player with you know Champions League experience to do. Come in, saying, "Look, that's not good enough." That isn't the standards that this club should be setting. And if if you're if you're happy with a draw here, then you're not good enough for this club, and you're going nowhere. Like you'll just be League One players forever. Because I think it it might have even been Akron and come to think of it. And we we scored later on, and the players like celebrating like they'd won. And McGee was like, "Hold on a minute, it's a it's a draw against Akron at home. Like, is are we is this the point we're at now? We're celebrating, not getting beat at home. So you kind of come in." I don't blame the guy for having high standards. I, I, at the time, I think when the room I was going round up and Neil Mike Collars to the master and said, he's perfectly right. Because if you're going in there, dis- you know, happy with the draw, then, you know, when we're trying to fight for a promotion as well, mm. it's just just not good enough. So there was that rumour, how true it was, I'd, it, you know, remains to be seen whether, you know, anybody ever confirms that. But that seemed to be the, the turning point, definitely. Well, you've brought us back down to earth with a, a pretty substantial thud. Can I just give you things from from maybe from our perspective, though? Is that yeah, I would possibly say that, you know, Phil Parkinson is a League One manager. League Two, definitely. Yeah. You know, we're in the conference. We, we There's no way we could attract someone who's got a track record of three promotions. The uh, incredible cup runs in the FA Cup, obviously, one of the best FA Cup upsets uh, in recent history, really, yep. at Chelsea. Final of the League Cup from League Two. I yep. mean, they don't happen by accident. You know, is it possible things have just obviously went wrong at Sunderland in the way that sometimes they do with managers? 
Yeah, I, I do feel it, it is perfectly possible. And I would say, you know, to, to give, to not go in on him constantly is, is it's a good, good learning curve because, you know, you've gone to a massive club with a lot of expectations. That's not saying Wrexham are small and have no expectations because we all know that Wrexham are absolutely desperate to get back into league football. And if we're all honest, is Wrexham should be there. They, they should be. You know, I would say in the next sort of four or five seasons, you want to be kind of sniffing around League One at minimum. Um, so, yeah, maybe he just needs a fresh start, something, you know, not as... There was a lot of expectation, a lot of demands on him. You know, at mm-hmm. Sunderland, it was, we want to be promoted and, and we are demanding. There's a lot of people there who are running out of patience. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he has got a good record in League League two as well. You you can't deny that he's always done well when he's operated at that level. So it may have just been a case that where Sunderland wanted to be and where we were, which was, you know, sniffing around the top of League One, it was maybe just a little bit too much. He's reached a little bit higher than he should have. And, you know, it's not worked out. He wouldn't be the first manager at the football at Sunderland and he won't be the last. Where, <laughs> where were they off the field? Uh Tom, where at, at that point? I mean, was the takeover going through? Was there was there sort of a bit of uncertainty there? Did he get funds? Uh, he didn't get a boatload of cash. I'll be honest with you on that. He didn't get a boatload of cash. Uh, but then again, the manager before him didn't get a boatload of cash and still managed to bring in players like Jordan Willis, who was you know our best defender by a mile. He still managed to bring in players like Luke O'Neill and so on and so forth. Whereas when given the same constraints as Phil Parkinson brought in, he did bring in Bailey Wright, who's been decent, but, you know, you're looking at, like, you know, he brought in your Josh Scowens, Danny Graham came back, you know, and it was like, hold on a minute. Yeah, you might not have a lot of money to spend, but you've got to spend it a bit more wisely than what he did. Uh, In terms of the takeover... I have absolutely no idea because we had that many rumours of it's happening, it's off, it's happening, it's off. Is nobody ever knew. So I feel like the best thing to do for the manager was to just ignore all the off-field stuff and just work with what he had. Isn't ideal, but I feel like that was a, a minor distraction. But the, the elephant in the room was, is he when he was brought in, he followed Jack Ross after things went a bit sour and the line above his head was we've brought him in to get an extra 10% and that 10% was going to see us going to the division above. What actually happened was we lost about 20%. So it ended up less than ideal really. But Wrexham might be a fresh start for him. It might, you know, something might click there that didn't didn't click. I suppose it just, it all depends on the, the plans the owners have, how, you know, how... Reynolds and McElhenney. Is it McElhenney? Yeah. Well, yeah. It took um, us a bit. Don't worry, mate. Yeah. Um, to to see where they want to go with Wrexham, if they want to use youth, they want to recruit for cheap, sell on big, and buy players you will go through the divisions with them. I don't think Parkinson was the right choice in that respect. However, if they're just looking at it short term and say, look, what we need to do is we need to build a squad, but we need just a season to kind of get some experience in and around the squad to then bring through the young players, it might work because Parkinson's always going to turn to an experienced head over a younger one. If his level of players are at League Two, 
that'd be great for us. You know, if that's where his sort of background of knowledge and player contacts are, then that really suits us and it probably wouldn't have worked at Sunderland. Yeah, again, that's true. Um, I do feel that what you have to be wary with Parkinson signings is, especially the older ones, is is we kind of felt, I mean, Danny Graham was an example. A lot of people had wrote him off before he started. I was willing to give him a chance, stupidly. Um, but the, the idea was, well, he's coming down from the championship and he's still been scoring goals on and off in the championship. Maybe he comes down, he scores like, 10, 11, 12 goals a season and it'll kind of work. Then Danny Graham come to the club and you were like, no, he's past it. Like he's left Blackburn for a reason and he's not had any other offers for a reason, which was, he was kind of past it. And then I know that, you know, it's one of those where there's sometimes where sometimes don't, but you, you do have to be aware with the fact that it, with the players you'll be looking to sign, they may have, experience higher than the level you're at but if they haven't got the legs and they haven't got the the 90 minutes in the tank to keep it going then you're going to find yourselves carrying some players who you just cannot afford to carry irrespective of everything that you've you've just said i think Sunderland fans i mean correct me if i'm wrong Sunderland fans are similar to Wrexham fans in the sense that we desperately fail to temper our expectations basically we always think it's our season or whatever Despite everything that you've said in terms of it's not really pan, it didn't really pan out for him at Sunderland. Do you think he can actually succeed in in his first season at Wrexham, given the fact he will be backed financially? There is a short turnaround before pre-season. You mentioned there he will go for experience. If he gets that, do you think we can reasonably have have a decent crack at top spot stroke playoffs this season, or is it too early to say? Do you think? Uh, it's a bit of I would say it's probably a little bit early but you'll know a lot more come pre-season because one thing that really scuppered Parkinson was the five at the back at Sunderland and you know maybe it, maybe it's just a club thing but we're, we're not massively into that kind of sit tight defensively we, we've always been a team that's got in, play, in other teams faces and had a go or at least tried to do that that's the most successful teams we've had in the last 20 years have all been like four at the back, two, two hardened midfield players who are going to get stuck in and have a go. The five at the back didn't work, uh, but that's not to say if he could fill that five, if he wanted to stay with that, if he filled that adequately, that may work because it'll, it will tighten you up defensively because even though we weren't great, we did start to limit the amount we were conceding. It just, for us, it came at the detriment of actually not scoring as well. Um, so if you can find that balance, there's no reason he couldn't because he, he will have a purple patch. He always has done. He's been one of those managers. He loses a boatload, he'll get on a run and then he'll lose lose a boatload again. Uh, and it's just about how long he can get how long it takes for him to get that going and how long he can keep it going for. You kind of saw where, with his Bradford side, is they took a little while to get going. They got going, they had a fantastic season, which they dragged out for a majority of the season and then that just tailed off again. So if you can if you can kind of time it and sustain it, there's absolutely no reason why Wrexham can't do it. And I think he's coming from a good place in that, you know, the 
there was a, a half decent finish to the season from Wrexham as well. So they kind of with a short turnaround, you can kind of carry that momentum on a bit better than what you would if there was like, you know, a, a six seven week break like there usually is. We're talking um, before about the um, you know the documentary experience. Um, it's another one of the parallels uh, between Wrexham and Sunderland. Yeah. So putting managers aside for a minute, how has that experience been for Sunderland? Has that been a positive experience? Uh, not really. I wouldn't say it was a positive experience. Uh, then again, if we, you know, if we'd been promoted or won at Wembley, it might have been a little bit different. Um, but since is what you have to be aware of as well is is since that documentary, we've had a lot of players involved in that documentary who have since left the club, and there's been a lot of players who have come out and said that was a distraction. The cameras were there. They, they were aware of. Of you know, well, it's hard not to be. They were aware of that presence, and it wasn't that they changed the behaviour or the ability. But there has been players mentioned, like, like you know, you kind of went to Wembley, and they were like, we knew the cameras were there, so we felt an even added pressure to perform because you don't want to lose a final at the best of times. You don't want to lose a final and then be immortalised on Netflix for the next however many years. Um, so it did add a little bit of pressure. But then again, it's you know you you may find some players thrive under it because it's it's an unusual situation for non-league players to be in. I feel like sort of League One and the players dropping down from the Championship are kind of used to being on telly because your football gets on the telly a lot more anyway. Uh, but in terms of non-league, you might find it has the adverse effect and it gets a few players going because this is going to be a chance for them to to catch the eye where maybe they wouldn't always have that opportunity. Plus, it also gave us one of the great one-liners in documentary history from Chris Coleman, which was, you call me a prick, i got a wife and three kids. Which <laughs> yes. was one of the best things I've ever used. That was used. superb. That was superb. <laughs> he, did give a, he did give a few good... There's a few good one-liners in there, actually. Like, is there, My personal favourite was, why the fuck am I looking at Ibrahimovic on the bottom of this list? Which was, uh, <laughs> somebody drew a list of free agents up and put Ibrahimovic on the bottom. So, well, fair play. Well, you can get Danny Graham back. Oh, well, that's it. We're just the hotbed of free agents at the minute. Is uh, we, we've just got rid of, I think it was 13 players we've just released. So, the recruitment squad have got, they're, they're not getting us somewhere off, that's for sure. Is one of them Danny Graham? And can we? Look forward to seeing him grace the race course. <laughs> Unfortunately not. I actually think Danny Graham may be a free agent. Uh, I don't know whether he hung his boots up or not after us, but unsurprisingly, he didn't have uh, he didn't have many court offers on the Carlisle will take him. Hi, <laughs> somewhere. Carlisle or Hartlepool, Darlington if he's unlucky. <laughs> I still haven't. I still haven't got over Reese just doing an impression of Chris Coleman, like a really <laughs> asthmatic word, you know, Chris Coleman. <laughs> What was that? I'll, I'll, work, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. Anyway, Tom, I think we can all say we really hope that Phil Parkinson proves you wrong uh, and maybe we'll have you back on at the end of next season. Hey, I, I honestly, I do hope he proves me wrong because I would absolutely love to see Wrexham get back in the back in the league pyramid and uh, kick on because I do feel once they get the once once they get into the football league, I don't think they'll they'll come down for a few years. I think they'll really kick on once they get a foothold in in the in you know that that league pyramid. That's the plan. Let's hope so. Tom, thanks very much for your time. Across. We really appreciate no problem. it. 
It's been a pleasure, boys. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks very much, Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Good Cheers, luck for you. So, I'm going to need it. <laughs> <laughs>
couple of more fan stuff here just feeds into that. Barry Daniel says, best appointment since Dennis Smith. Gaz mm. Trow says, massive coup at this level, knows how to get promoted and plays a very direct style of football, which will get us results. Yeah. As I think direct, direct doesn't have to be just a synonym for bad. Mm. I mean, direct football can be exciting. If you got, you know, it doesn't always just mean route one. If you can, if you can get the ball from your penalty area to theirs in it quickly, then great. And, and if we've got the wingers and the strikers that are able to do that, then brilliant. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I'm just going to have one more. It's from our mm. paymaster, Rich Watkin. Okay, get it in from the stylish, <laughs> from the stylish and comfortable fat ball restaurant and bar. Absolutely, yeah. We're <laughs> for all your culinary needs. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't have been my choice, but gets my full backing and support. If he's the man to take us up, he will become my favourite manager of all time until we win the Europa League anyway. Well, fantastic. There That's a great opinion there from... Uh, I, I love that opinion. I absolutely yeah. love it. It's a great opinion. I think, and I, you know, one of the best opinions we've had, you know, we're about 17 episodes in now and, you know, I, I frankly can't think of a better opinion that we've heard in. Can we replace Liam with, with Rich? Is that I'll possible? Hold on a minute. We'll, we'll, put it, we'll put it to our paymasters and see what they think. It's time now for the first instalment of our brand new feature. We've had the mighty heroes, the best Rexo 11 of our lifetimes. Now it's time for the shitey heroes, the worst team of the last 30 years or so. First up, we'll go with you, Andy. Oh. Um, I'm going to give you, Tim is demanding 60 seconds, so we'll give him 60. But Andy, I reckon you can do yours in 30. So I'm going to right. give you 30 seconds countdown. Um, make it a bit shorter. So tell us why your nomination should be in our team of shitey heroes. Three, two, one, go. This fellow played for Wrexham and Roxham, and that's all you need to know about him. Mark Walton came from Norwich. I was young. I was impressionable. Norwich were good. He was not. A big lad with a bowl cut. He punched everything way before that was cool. He joined on loan when we were short of keepers. It wasn't like we were used to much. We'd had Vince O'Keefe and Mark Morris. But he took he took keeping to seldom seen deaths for your, my young mind. After six games for us, his career went Rapping mental. Roxham, Murphy, Fakenham, it looked dead. But he pulled it back. He played for Fulham. He played for Norwich. He played for Brighton. He played for Cardiff. Maybe we didn't see the best of him. Maybe he got better of age. Maybe he's got the best agent in the world. That was way over 30 seconds, mate. We're going to have to stick to 60, I think. It's not doable. It's not doable. I'm with Tim now. Okay, fine. Um, Liam, you can go next. Um, I'll, I'll give you 60 seconds. And Liam never takes 60 anyway, but you can have the 60. Um, why should your nomination be in our team? Three, two, one, go. Uh, well, affectionately known as the Flying Pig, I've gone for the man that is Cameron Belford. He joined us in May 2015, Ooh. signing a one deal with Gary Mills as we know Gary Mills signings very hit and miss I think it's safe to say that this one was a miss I could see why he brought him in at first because he played that passing style of football and Belford could pass but boy could he not save um, I sort of lost count of the occasions when he would go flapping across at the ball only to miss and he ultimately made 19 appearances before losing his place to Reese Taylor who was pretty decent by all means um, his career after that he went uh, he went to Stranraer for a bit went to Forest Green 
didn't really play. Chorley, Nuneaton. I think that says all that needs to be said, really. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but the flying pig ain't the one for me. Well, there you go. That was Liam's case for Cameron Belford. Tim, you're up next. Uh, 60 seconds to make your case. 3-2-1, go. Xavi Valero. Dennis Smith signed him in January 2005 on a month-long contract deal after seeing video highlights of him. That video must have only been seconds in length as he was dreadful for the Reds. With Andy Dibble out injured, Valero was thrown in at the deep end and he made a string of errors over just three league games and one FA Premier Cup game, conceding 12 goals in the process. The final incident came when Smith hauled the hapless Spaniard off at half-time at Chesterfield following another gaff where he misjudged a long spiral free kick, allowing him to score into an empty net. Dennis Lawrence stormed off the pitch and told Dennis Smith that, that the defence didn't trust him, so he was replaced by 17-year-old debutant Michael Jones. Since then, post-playing career, Valero somehow enjoyed a stellar position, holding goal, prominent goalkeeping uh, positions at Liverpool, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Napoli, and is currently at West Ham United. How bizarre. Wow. Can I just say, is his goalkeeping career right? Whatever I do, do the opposite. <laughs> um, do you want to count me in, Andy? All right, three, two, one, go. Right, I'm going to try and wrap this up in 30 seconds. I feel bad making this nomination because I can't particularly remember any clangers or gaffes. I'm sure there were, but I think he deserves it just because he was in that team, which was generally pretty awful. Anthony Williams got us relegated from League Two, obviously, when all this hell started. Couldn't command his area, from what I remember. Just guilt by association. Anthony, you're in. So that's the case. Now, before we go on to discuss, we've had emails in about this. Thank you for those who emailed in with your suggestions. The first we've had is from Martin Astley, who says we should pick Ken Hughes. Oh, um, we were, I was going to go for Ken Hughes. And I quote... Uh, he came from rivals Shrewsbury Town and was seen as the new kid on the block. His nickname was Ken the Cat, not due to his agility, but more the fact that he gave the defence kittens, a nickname <laughs> given to him by the group of fans I stood with on the cop, which included the late Scarfy, Chris Purvis, Biscuit and other such fans. And Martin also says, love the Kevin Wilkins pod and I felt sorry for him the way he was treated by the board and Mozers was a real eye-opener too. And he thinks we should get on Geraint Parry as a guest. Thanks, Martin. Uh... Much Appreciate it. Uh, the second email we've had is an, it's an absolute belter. It's from Jonathan Devitt or Jonah Devitt, who says we are part of his weekly rotation of podcasts now, which is great to hear. Um, sorry, this one is late, but we were expecting the manager to be announced sooner. So you can blame Humphrey Carr for the, the delayed podcast. Um, but uh, he also says that the podcasts are wonderfully insightful. Cheers, Jonah. We should get that emblazoned somewhere, shouldn't we? The Twitter or something. Why don't we tattoo it on Liam's face? Yeah, we have, or put, put it up in the fat ball. We have the wonderfully insightful burger in the fat ball. <laughs> there we go. Uh, okay, Jonah's actually done our job for us. He's given us the whole starting 11 with a, oh, with a paragraph what? on each player. I won't read them all out today. I reckon we'll just, I'll just mention Jonah's uh, nominations every week. But his, his nomination today is Liam's goalkeeper, Cam Belford. Thought he was cool in his short sleeve kit, but never got it dirty by attempting <laughs> to die for a ball. <laughs> So we've actually got two nominations for Cam Belford. So I think Cam Belford has raced into an early lead. Any any other thoughts? I, I don't think it should be Anthony Williams. I know he was pretty terrible that relegation season, but I think he was a big part of actually us staying up the season yeah, before. He was. Um, remember, he came from the Bellamy uh, golf money. 
That's true. Yeah, this has come up before, hasn't it? No, I know. I feel I feel bad for nominating him. It's just he was at the end of his career, wasn't he? I don't think he can be blamed for the failures of the team, but it's just me lashing out. 13 yeah. years later, upset with how it happened. Yeah. Okay. So if it's like a, a 16 year old Reese Williams. Yeah. Wrote, fair I, enough. I've I'll take that. Off, I've got it off my chest. Let's move on. Okay. I, but saying that, I don't think he should be considered. I do. I, I do think it should be between. I think it should be between Belford and Valero. If you hook a goalkeeper off at half time, it tells you all you need to know. He was, he was dreadful. He's had a great career. So he knows something. He's very. He's a Does he know guy, something? But, though? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't understand that. As I said earlier, maybe it's just because. Maybe he just says to like keepers, right? I'm going to do it this way. Do the opposite of what I'm doing, and you'll be a good keeper. Benitez is probably going to pick him up and take him to Everton. I think he was a trusted aide of Benitez throughout most of his career, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him at Everton. I've got to be honest. If I hadn't, if Tim hadn't already bagged Valero, I would have picked him because if you say to any Wrexham fan who is the most calamitous Wrexham goalkeeper, I think most of them would say Valero hands down. And plus also I'd feel a bit less uh, less harsh because he's gone on to have a successful career in coaching. So it wouldn't feel as cruel if we put him in the team because he had the last laugh, as Alan Partridge would say. Yes, needless to say. Yeah. Um, I'm happy with that. Last minute devil's advocate shout here is that Valero was at a higher level. Belford was struggling in the National League. Look, when you come up with a a series called The Shitey Heroes. <laughs> Xavier Valero's got to be in it. Okay, it fine. Shat. There we go. The vote's <laughs> been cast. Sorry, Xavi, but I'm sure your your handsome salary at Premier League clubs will make up for this blow. But you have made it in to The Shitey Heroes. Congratulations. Next week, we'll be picking our right back. So please email us in with your suggestions. You can do that by emailing fearlessindevotion at gmail. Dot com. And once again, a huge thanks to the Fat Ball for sponsoring us. But before that, we'll try. Should we? Are we going to try and get on a um, uh, a Bradford fan to provide some balance and to cheer you all up after the the negative associations? Let's. We're going to try and get a Bradford fan onto next week's episodes, and um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll hopefully give you a bit of a spring in your step rather than bring you down like some of those other uh, supporters tried to do today. <laughs> Uh, but thanks very much for listening and downloading once again and we'll see you all next week Cheers. goodbye see you Bye. nostar